This is Crossover Collab, bringing you some good and some bad opinions of the six, so far, Home Alone Adaptations. This is Crossover Collab, and we are going to discuss Home Alone when we're not home alone. <laughs> yeah, can't relate. Bad meme. Oh, oh well, I, I'm not. You might hear a lot of um, noise in the background, so that's just my uh, cool, quirky way of saying sorry for, for <laughs> all the stuff in the background. Um, but we, we had some ups and downs watching the... Uh, definitely the first five and then reading on the sixth Home Alone film um, there's some good ones and there's some terrible ones well there's there's two good ones and then all the rest are like trying to compete for which one is the worst yeah yeah. Like, every every new good. one manages to top the horrors of the previous one that's true I mean we could just skip the first two and just get all cynical and, and start no, like uh, no <laughs> <laughs> the first no, two are the reason why the others are bad is like that's the, true the they, concept they set... is executed well in one and yeah. two so mm-hmm. yeah completely they are the cornerstone of the entire franchise and um wait i said six Te- technically there's there's seven is there not wait so there's one through four the holiday heist and home sweet home alone yeah well, I oh, but there seven. was also the cancelled straight to TV miniseries yeah. thing. Yeah, um, but this yeah. is six Home Alone films in the, in in the twelve days of collab. So right, right. So we don't want to ruin that number. Yeah. So we we will we will alter <laughs> alter it. It's it's not canon. It's legends. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, let's just start with the first one. We both love it. It's it's. We've done a whole other podcast on it, of course. Um, yeah, right. If if you guys can scroll that far, you can dig up, you know, our opinions from last year. See if they've changed at all <laughs> yeah completely and it's that i actually haven't watched it this year we've been really struggling to get all the christmas films in um i did watch half of christmas last night though oh nice um, yeah which was like such that. a joy <laughs> it was great i never yeah. realized how much i loved it particularly since we talked about it mm. and i watched it again i was like oh this is even better than i remember in fact while we're on the record about that i um i watched santa claus 2 as well the other uh, night yeah. and nice. it was so amazing like it was great to watch something that i'd seen when i was maybe three or four the only other time and to finally all these like really vivid images and sounds that i'd remembered and being locked away in my unconscious you know for like yeah nearly 20 years and for it to suddenly all come rushing back and now for it to finally make sense like those images were now connected and formed a story so yeah it was was really good uh loved that film yeah it's it's so good so um i can't remember where we came from but like basically yeah (laughs) yeah right but um home alone in itself is just one of those absolute um classics like said we've we've had our opinions on it i doubt my opinions would have changed at all since last time we talked about it (laughs) yeah Um, yeah 
you know, I, I don't change my opinion. Um, well, I don't watch it that much, rather, should I say, just because my brother was absolutely obsessed with it growing up. And then <laughs> my mom was basically like, you're not watching it. I hate this film. I've watched it a good trillion <laughs> times. And so yeah. I don't have that personal connection to it as other people do, but I definitely admire, like, its charm, its creativity, particularly with, like, the traps and, like, the slapstick mm. humor. It's like... I'm just imagining my brother's little kid just absolutely howling at the fact yeah, of, like, yeah. Mark getting hit in the face with a paint bucket and stuff like oh, that. Oh, man. You know I... As a kid, Home Alone 2, I'm going to quickly eke into. Um, the the scene where uh, Harry and Marv want their camera back uh, to be thrown yeah. down and Kevin throws bricks instead. To describe it, it sounds horrific. Right. But the way it's done in the film, oh man, I was in stitches as a kid. Like, I couldn't get over it. And it's one of those things, it's like a shadow that's loomed over me, is that I've always been told my sense of humour leans slapstick um so i've spent most of my teenage and adult years trying to convince people that i have a very sophisticated sense of humor but uh what can i say it's still funny when the guy gets hit in the head with the paint bucket i totally um, agree so there's, yeah there's about it. it's a I sound mean, the the switching on the light bulb and going where's the like why did i feel something move and I think it's the way it's filmed in those ones. Is it's not just oh, there's a trap and then it, it happens. It's the way it's framed, the way like the angles. Uh, some of the shots are so effective because you get like uh, POV shots where we are the traps that are hitting them at times, you know. Um, or you see a POV shot where we are like Harry or Marv getting hit by the thing. So you feel yeah. the impact of it a lot more. And uh, Whereas I feel like towards three and four, they kind of dropped off a bit in how they choreographed and uh, like planned the shots. So there's yeah. not as much kind of weight behind a lot of it. Okay. Plus, Home Alone 4, the traps aren't even like... They're not creative. And I feel like that's part of what made... Home Alone 1 and 2, especially 2 because there's the element that as a sequel it has to live up to the expectations of the first and Harry and Marv have learned from their mistakes the first time, so it was a lot harder to make it realistic that they'd fall for these traps again, and so they don't but then it becomes a a good kind of um, like inversion or a way of twisting expectations because the audience comes in with a set of ideas about what the film's going to be um, and I think Home Alone 2 twisted them in a really clever way whereas the other ones based on my reading as well around the newest one it seems to have fallen into this trap as well where it doesn't really subvert the expectations it maybe handles the plot from a slightly different angle but there's nothing that kind of you know the the audience gets what they're expecting, and mm-hmm. and that's something about Home Alone too that I think makes it a fantastic sequel. Is that you can kind of you know what you're going in for, but you still get something unexpected. Oh yeah, very much. Like yeah, I mean, literally just expanding on what you said there. The the last few films, the chap uh, the traps are literally so cheap. Um, it's it's very much done with. No appreciation for the setup of it. It's yeah, like, yeah. I think that's similar in, in terms of how 
comedies developed in general and I think we, we kind of expressed our distaste in a lot of Will Ferrell's uh, humour when we're talking about Elf and Dorong and Elf is amazing but I think the main reason <laughs> we didn't find him funny is because it's the same trope and it's not yeah in the right context it's just like oh it, it's this idea of people find it funny if I'm just loud and innocent yeah, and shout yeah. and it's like well no well, that's not what makes it funny yeah, that's the thing about Elf. Just I again rewatched that last night, and uh, the thing that makes Elf funny is not the fact that he's acting in a really antisocial and juvenile way. It's that everyone else is so cynical that they can't believe he's genuinely a child at heart. They think yeah. there's something wrong with them. And it's that aspect that is the humor. The humor is poking fun at the people in society who've lost their sense of Christmas spirit, which effectively is just a um, a way of quantifying childlike innocence in a person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, if you've got no Christmas spirit, then it probably means that you're, you know, a bit of a Grinch. Uh, you've lost that kind of childlike side of you. Not always, of course, but in Christmas films, yes, always. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's the thing as well with home alone so to take that same kind of angle the the joke isn't the trap the trap is kind of the punchline of a whole part of a joke which plays into these bumbling criminals who you know they they can't outsmart a kid that's the humor especially in the first one of course where it's really exaggerated for uh, because it's you know the audience doesn't know what to expect going into the film so that's why there's this huge emphasis at the start of how Harry and Marv they've planned it out, they know what they're doing they've spent weeks picking the right target, they finally scouted out a house that's going to be left home alone and then they end up getting like completely sidelined sideswept by this kid who's just there and has prepared all these traps that they're not expecting that's the that's the humor the humor isn't necessarily you know they oh they slip over a toy car haha like yeah it can be amusing in of itself but the thing that i think makes it great comedy is that there's all of this kind of setup that occurs in the film um, so the payoff is really satisfying is what I'm getting at <laughs> for definite and um, I think you'll appreciate this Josh since you you love sound and music so much but like I feel like the sound design in the first two movies is just better like I oh can't, yeah I, I well there's more it. budget for it and they used less cartoon stock effects that's the yeah, thing exactly. I think yeah, I mean, and the only thing that I'd say is the downfall of the second one, but I also find incredibly funny and it still works, is when Marv gets electrocuted and, and like, I think yeah. he's a skeleton for a second. Oh, but, yeah. Like, that, that's still so funny, though. Um, but, yeah, I think I recently, it was just yesterday, actually, I watched the, the fifth one, the Holiday Heist, <clears throat> which, for some reason, every blooming Christmas film at the moment just seems to have holiday in the title yeah it's it's the war on christmas (laughs) so it's it's yeah it was bad i'm just gonna say it takes all the good well sorry did i just start to say it takes all the good stuff i meant to say it takes all the really bad stuff (laughs) and just puts it into a film and it's so cheap and like yeah yeah the only creative trap that i saw of that fifth one was the um, art thieves. Um, one of them steals some like gingerbread men or people, right, um, off a plate, 
and um, he did it earlier in the movie. So basically, the kid sets up a trap um, so that firstly, when he went to go get another one, it would taste really, really bad. And then <laughs> when he tried to wash his mouth out, when he turned on the uh, the tap, the foam would burst out of it. Um, so like that was the only yeah. creative trap that I was like, okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, everything else and, was dreadful. I mean, I think that goes to show, even in the bad ones, that there's some awareness, some awareness <laughs> of like yeah. how the villains are going to react to it. Because again, I think that uh, is is part of what's so great about thinking of the traps as like punchlines. There's some that it's like an extended punchline, and actually what you think is the punchline of one joke is actually the setup for another um obviously home alone 2 is able to start from a sort of midway point where for example they know about the paint buckets thing so they count one and two so they know like it's safe to go and then that's when we get the unexpected third one um yeah so there's some sense of like the villain's psychology how you would react to this psychological and physical torture effectively um yeah completely yeah <laughs> yeah um and i thought i'd comment on blooming like the whole narrative of the fifth one as well there's right you know that whole thing of the parents you see it in some films and like a lot of older people assume it's this way where like the gaming community is like a really anti-social weird community and they only get each other and like they don't at all socialize with the outside world and... welcome to 1984 uh, yeah can i can i help you yeah right <laughs> back, back like... when dungeons and dragons was only for nerds right exactly and and i think we both as gamers are like well nah like uh, it, it was a meme to be honest just i mean i mean this. i am anti-social and awkward but it's not because i'm a gamer or yeah, i'm right. not a gamer because i'm anti-social and awkward the two things just happen to coincide exactly right it's just you you enjoy games you i consider i used to be an anti-social i'm very well i'm somewhat social now and i still absolutely adore my games more than ever so just i mean us both coming from that kind of perspective but like it was such a bad representation of, of games in general yeah. like you know the the tropes of uh, boss fights online gaming <laughs> and captain uh, yeah. kill and all that stuff it was just... well it's it's like that one bit in elf actually it's my least favorite line but also one of the most memorable ones as a result when uh buddy's little brother's coming out of school and he's saying we've got full health all the weapons full health full armor it's like that's not like i understand that they're trying to convey very quickly that he's a cool kid who's playing the latest like gta or whatever and he's t talking to his friends about like it's just a setup for a scene so I don't mind it in the long run. But yeah, when you have yeah. a whole film where a character is just the most stereotypical gamer and, well, we talked about this with Free Guy, didn't we? The kind yeah, we of did, yeah. corporations who've never like touched a games console before trying yeah. to like, yeah. So it's... Trying to be relatable and all that. It's jokes. Yeah. And what, what was even funnier about it is this child had no experience in setting up traps 
but because he's a gamer, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now he knows how to do it. And so, like, basically, the whole thing was because he was a a, a gamer essentially. And because was... because they they acknowledge in his characterization that he plays a lot of uh, tower defense games, right? Right. 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 They they do but... know what a tower defense game is, right? Not not right. Because that would that would be interesting, right? Someone who's like, if you're going for the uh, like reclusive gamer character, who's like left home alone because they don't want to go to like the Christmas party or whatever that all their family's going to, and they throw a strop and they're like, no, I just want to play home, uh, play home, stay home and play video games instead. And then they've spent their whole life like playing these tower defense games, and so they know how to like set up their home as like the tower to defend. That I, you know what, I'd be more on board with that if they're going down that route at all. But yeah, yeah it's right. very, very difficult to do in a non-cringy way. Yeah, that that's the thing. It's like, it's not that far away from like even online game thing. Like I got it and I'd see what they were going for, but I was like, this is just this is a meme. This is jokes. And also, just point out. He's not even home alone. In home alone, I mean, oh, technically, yeah, he's, he's with his sister, right? For yeah. home alone, the holiday heist. Yeah, yeah, I mean, she's in the basement, so technically, you could be like, oh, he has to do it by himself. Eh, Which I'm like, pass. Eh. Yeah, the, right. the whole like, idea fine. of because again, like I know we've fixated a lot on the traps, and I feel like we did this last time as well. But yeah. <laughs> one thing that I think is really key to about home alone is that like as i say these are punchlines to setups and of course it's only half of the film the the majority of the importance of the film is in that character growth the idea that like particularly with kevin how when he's initially you know he's got that kind of juvenile childish because he's a kid way of dealing with oh yeah i'm on my own i can do whatever i want you know and then he slowly realizes the importance of responsibility and relationship and he understands that being alone at christmas is actually terrible and so it, you know we i think we mentioned this last year it's ultimately the story of repentance um yeah like a lot of good christmas films are to be honest like someone realizes that what they selfishly wanted to get out of the holiday isn't as good as what they get out of the holiday if they go into it selflessly, you know? Um, which, you know, I could learn. <laughs> uh, yeah. I learn it every year, but like, um, so the, it was a great thing about Home Alone is that that character growth is facilitated by the premise that when he's on his own he's able to then like face childhood fears of like the uh, basement generator and he's able yeah. to um like approach people that he's been scared away from like the um shovel guy um and <laughs> yeah, right. and all of that i mean even the, as well home alone one gets bonus points for me just by having a church in it um yeah there's right. that sense of like reverence towards what christmas is both on a christian level and as a uh, on a secular level so it's not something that like you know you don't have all the atheists rolling their eyes at the choir bit they're like oh yeah i can understand because it's about family and the importance of like you know intergenerational stuff so yeah where whereas i think um even like home alone 3 i don't think is a particularly bad offender it's just that there isn't as much heart to it and 
they I get they were going for like that was when they started going for different concepts and then when yeah. that didn't work they were like oh let's just make all of them like somehow related to Kevin because Kevin is the thing that they liked rather than the heart and soul of the film um, yeah I know it's which like is, they miss they missed all the points yeah yeah it's it's my least favorite thing about like forcing franchises is that the uh, the trappings are the same but the actual soul is not um, and that's the bit like you can change the trappings but if the soul is destroyed I mean we've talked about this before with the Netflix stuff you know um, a franchise unto itself uh, but yeah so even even with Home Alone 3 you could feel there's that drop down of like the same stuff was happening the same kind of shenanigans but the why behind it wasn't so important in that film I don't think no, definitely not. I have, yeah, I think people really missed the, the whole point of it. And I mean, we were almost even guilty of falling into that trap of just talking about like the actual traps and, and the ends of the film instead of um, talking about like the soul of it. But we ended up talking about that, so that, that's good. But I feel like, yeah, people get too obsessed with that bit. Like, oh, them getting hurt equals haha. Yeah, because money it, it misses as well. Why? Like he he only does that after he's had the character development to realize that like he even wants to defend his family's home. It's only after he misses his family that he he's forced to like prepare the traps and so on. And yeah, the same exactly. thing happens in Home Alone 2. Like, there's that the character growth happens first. Like, he spends his time in New York, he has fun, he does all the things that a kid would do if they had their dad's credit card and they were in New York. Um, so he does that for, like, the first half of the film, but then he slowly he, he realises about the toy store and uh, Duncan's uh, donation to the hospital, and it's yeah. when he's, like, you know, that that's when he creates the traps that's when he you know does all that that's when the punchline happens is my yeah. point like you can't exactly. just um which again is uh, my main gripe with a lot of those netflix films we looked at is that they they're all payoff and no setup you can't pay off something you haven't set up in a film um well in any story really there's this huge tie between you as the writer uh, have to put in the work to then get the audience to find that catharsis at the end. They're willing to suspend their disbelief, but they're not willing to be told by the film what they should be feeling when the film has made no effort to make them feel that way. Yeah, completely. That, that's the thing. That's super accurate, and that's, that's exactly how I felt watching those uh, kind of films. Um, and I also, I, that's what I love about the second Home Alone film, how they round it off with kevin's friend the, the homeless woman and the idea of giving that ornament to her like the dove is it yeah um, yeah like that's a precious moment see that feels very similar to as you described the the church scene from the first mm. film it's yeah. very much that sense of reverence the idea of it is that's mainly what it's about it's above all of these these gift things and, and the selfishness but it's very much about having others around and, and giving to others it's it rounds off as a beautiful story i think that's the point it yeah once again yeah. the soul is intact in both of those stories and that's why they're the classics and as you said we move on 
into more let's experiment with the tropes yeah and, uh, color by numbers really like yeah literally the outline <laughs> and they're just filling it in differently yeah that's it's a shame i see. mean to home alone 4's credit they at least try to have i mean first off the suspension of disbelief is kicked out of the window when they try and tell us that that weird kid is kevin McAllister and his dad is like remarried and stuff that was really really weird premise and i don't even know how it's supposed to fit in with the original because it was made so far afterwards and all of that but anywho ignoring all of those obvious uh (laughs) misalignments um Mm -hmm. they at least have some kind of thing about how he doesn't want to spend christmas over here with his uh, stepmom because you know he, he just doesn't want to accept that she's she he thinks she's like an evil stepmother kind of thing and the film kind of you know endears us to that and no how how cute but again it was just weak and lackluster and i don't know how much of that was just because they didn't film it like they i think they filmed it in south africa or something so no snow no like festivities it's a house in the middle of nowhere you know it was it was one that i feel like could have very easily not been set at Christmas and you wouldn't be able like they could make it the same film effectively Um, it was very forced that it was Christmas time that all this kind of catharsis was happening so yeah in terms of the plot like I can at least understand they tried to have some kind of family based conflict around it but again it just was poorly acted and poorly executed so I wasn't convinced by it and it it's not as memorable whereas you know think thinking of how how much home alone one and two explore the depth of both kevin's state and then also his family's state of mind and how they each grow and how they deal with what's happened and particularly kevin's mom of course how like she's dealing with the the guilt of having left behind her son and of course as a coming of age story it's a great way of showing like how parents feel when their child has to fend for themselves for the first time so you know so much loaded into it it's done in a really mature way and as you mentioned with uh, the bird lady and as we've talked about with the uh, snow shovel guy i still don't know i can't remember their names i'm so sorry um but um even with those arcs there's some in-depth characterization and they feel like real characters they feel like real people rather than just these projections these kind of cookie cutter cardboard cutouts of uh just tropes yeah archetypes there we go yeah completely well we haven't talked about the newest one i personally haven't seen it um i have seen enough of it from its wikipedia article (laughs) right i know a lot of people weren't happy with it um which is a shame because right i just want to say the child actor who was in jojo rabbit is Mm. really funny and so, like, I was I was a little pleased to see, at least when I first saw the trailer, I was like, oh, he's kind of cool from what I've seen him in. But that doesn't excuse the writing <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, I've, I've heard pretty bad things about it, uh, despite that. Um, so, yeah, what does the article say? Is it, is it, is it a similar kind of 
well, I'm assuming it obviously is just a Home Alone film, but does it have yeah. like, a similar premise? Or... So this is um, this is an interesting one because unlike the previous five, where the villains are unapologetically evil and they're very clearly defined as villainous. Uh, bearing in mind, you know, children first learning morality, like black and white card, like clear cut morals. Like these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, and this is why. They still, of course, within the good guys in Home Alone one and two, you know, you've got that nuance to them that they're not perfect, but they're good because you know they're not stealing from people at Christmas. Um, especially, of course, with Home Alone 2, where you then add the extra caveat that uh, Harry and Marv aren't just stealing from like one family, but they're stealing from children who are in hospital. So it makes it even clearer, like, these guys are selfish, they're in it for themselves, and that is morally deplorable. Um, whereas in Home Sweet Home Alone, the villains... Uh, first off, they're called Jeff and Pam, so it just makes me think of The Office straight away. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so imagine uh, Jim and Pam <laughs> trying to sell their house because effectively they don't have enough money, one of them's lost a job, they can't keep their home, and so they're... Um, and then it's getting rubbed in their face by their like obnoxious brother who's really successful and he's called Hunter because of course um, so effectively the kid is quite tangential to the plot really because it sets up this couple as being like hard done by and that they're like in danger of losing their house and the way that the kid gets involved in the plot is that they think he's stolen an ugly looking doll of theirs and they've been told that such dolls are like collector's items and that they can sell for a lot of money if they're like uh, you know if they look weird because it's something to do it, yeah it says here a malformed one with an upside down face and that's the one that they lose um Right. So something something Max this kid gets left home even though they plan to go to Japan for the holidays. Um so the premise is you've got these relatable villains who are just poor. And then they believe that the kid has stolen from them, so they try to steal it back. That's the bottom line. That's the plot. Right. So Great. there's no kind of we are criminals. There's no kind of like the boy is, or, or, and and then they don't go so far the other way where it's like Max uh, maliciously like knowing that the doll is worth a lot deliberately steals it it's like an accident that it happens um, and then a lot of the kind of conflict is stuff that happens like by uh, uh, they like mishear things uh, they misunderstand each other so it's one of those classic, like, they call them idiot plots, you know, where um, yeah. it's like a movie plot that can only happen if every character in it is an idiot. So, yeah, there, there is a church in it. That's one thing I will say. Oh, that's um, great. I'm glad about that. Uh, the, the family that leaves the kid behind heads to church on their way back from Japan. Um, but, yeah. Uh, oh it's it's well, a weird one. So yeah, effectively though, like let's let's take the simplicity of Home Alone's kind of morality. 
even though you know yeah. it still goes in depth with that and explores the characters they're like let's just take all of that and just turn it into like the villains aren't actually villainous right the Which kid is actually kind of a jerk <laughs> Yeah. Well, yes, that's perfectly correct. Like there are a lot of things. I mean, Maleficent kind of wasn't didn't start the trend, but it was definitely part of the trend where um, they realized that if you give a villain a backstory, they turn into the hero, and you have to rewrite the story so that the heroes are villains because yeah. they don't like writers now. I don't know if this is just a thing in general, but in Hollywood, for definite, they don't know how to write sympathetic villains anymore it's either they're sympathetic which means they're now the hero or they're unsympathetic there's no kind of good or bad there's just sympathetic or unsympathetic and that is a terrible place to be and it's hardly any surprise that kids grow up now going oh yeah morality is subjective right Um, it's that's it they produce a kind of relativity instead of like like the classic case of star wars you you can make your character redeemable. You take Darth Vader, yeah, the yeah. most evil character in all of it, and then like, oh, yeah, ends up actually being a Jedi again and being a good guy. He's redeemable in that matter. Like, and I think as well, what what helps with that is that the evil is something external, but also internal. So effectively, Darth Vader is evil because he does evil things, and it reflects that there is a capacity within himself to do evil. Uh, I know we've talked about this before at length in some of our episodes, but like, yeah, the idea that the struggle for good and evil being internal, that everyone's capable of both great good and great evil, um, but that evil can also be manifested in like external actions. Um, so, you know, what, what someone does has a moral character to it, but it's also inspired, like, they can only do that thing if they've first had that inner struggle of choosing which moral action to take um so like yeah i I guess (laughs) the thing with home sweet home alone is like technically they're trying to like they're invading someone's house they're they're stealing but it's their own property so they're technically just reclaiming it but it's a bit Um, dodgy and yeah so it's I mean, from what I understand, they could have just knocked at the house and gone... Well, I think it's because they believe that the house is uninhabited and something-something time pressure, so... But if they'd have knocked at the house and the kid was still there, surely the plot would just end. You know, roll credits. Roll credits, yeah. Well, what an interesting way to shift up Pomelon, I guess, kind of. It's such a weird... Like, there's so many great ideas they come up with but <laughs> Hollywood I mean what Cru- <laughs> bloody did that with Cruella DeVille didn't they like oh, they yeah, yeah. Ma- made an entire film out of her to say look she's sympathetic and then you think to yourself men are the problem not the fact that she wants to skin these dogs alive the problem <laughs> is men right I'm like I don't care how relatable you make make her like in the next film the originals she wants to skin dogs still you can't yeah, like i sure do love being able to relate to evil <laughs> right well it's i mean like... it's it's accompanied as well with the whole sentiment of it's good being bad uh which uh, don't even get me started <laughs> yeah right like once again using the star wars thing it's like right i can understand how darth vader got there He's still a nice dude. I don't. I don't relate to him. He's not like cool. 
I find them cool after the fact he's redeemable. I find his past more interesting and, and for sure sad, but I, I don't look at him slaughtering people going, oh, you just misunderstood. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, nah, there's, yeah. there's accountability for your stuff. But yeah, anyway, I feel Hollywood has leaned way too much into it. Probably fueled by all the progressive, postmodern, moral. Oh, careful what you say, Brandon. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> It's messy, alright? Yeah. I get yeah. it. But yeah, there's 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 grey areas and, and, and there's there's understanding and we should all be compassionate towards each other. Just stop making loads of money out of that kind of storyline where you don't yeah. have a basic protagonist or a basic antagonist where everything is kind of wibbly wobbly, timey wimey stuff. <laughs> I mean as well, there's the there's the other kind of uh, irony that you've got these like multi-million dollar companies who are definitely doing like dodgy tax practices um and i mean hollywood we we know what happens uh, behind closed doors in hollywood uh, they don't have to tell us we know um <laughs> so yeah it's kind of ironic that they're the people who are like peddling what morals the rest of the world should follow except for them uh, it's quite terrifying the, yeah, the we, impact it has. I mean, we're not going to. Well, which is which is why that's the the importance is in doing a good in depth character study, and that's yeah, what right. what happens with. Oh, it, it's funny because things like Home Sweet Home Alone, they they try and do in depth character study in the sense that they make their characters on the surface level more nuanced. Like, oh, they're maybe not a villain, but then. In terms of actual like characterization, they're not very well fleshed out. Whereas mm. Kevin, I think, is is quite well. Even Harry and Marv, if we're just looking at the villains, you know, compare Harry and Marv to uh, Jim and Pam. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Harry, Harry and Marv, they are very simple characters for a kid to understand, but there's still yep. depth to them. I mean, even the fact that John Williams is music for it, which I realise we haven't touched on. Uh, Williams did the music for one and two. He didn't do the music for any of the others, and it shows. Um, John Debney did his best at copying John Williams for Home Sweet Home Alone, but I'm told that the way he uses some of the motifs is uh, wrong, as wrong as you can get in film music, because I know it's still subjective to a degree, but like, yeah, they, that, they use effectively yeah. themes that were meant to represent one moment that are used in a completely different sense. Uh, kind of like just copy and paste the soundtrack and see if no one oh, notices. I hate that. But anyway, but... to get back to the Harry and Marv thing, because I realise I've <laughs> sidetracked like a million times in this episode. Um, Harry and Marv are represented by a flute and a tuba, respectively. Um, mm-hmm. And um, they both play like the same melody at the same time, but it's two instruments with very different ranges. Like There are the extremes of the orchestra to show that they're both the same in the sense that they're robbers, they're villains, but they're very different personalities. One of them is the kind of composed one and the short one, and then you've got the tall, bumbling idiot, you know? And those two personalities rub against each other. You can see this complexity that they're working together because they've worked together, but they don't like each other, per se. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the idea of, well, which one's in charge, you know? Home Alone 4 ruins that. Um... So, yeah, uh, even though they're simple characters, they're still handled with complexity, there's some depth to them, uh, whereas 
now you seem to get the opposite where they're like, ah, yeah, it's a really nuanced character, but then they don't investigate any of the nuance. And just, again, it's like what I mentioned earlier. They just tell the audience, oh, yeah, this is a really complicated character. And then they don't make right. the character complicated. That's the main thing. And I, I feel it's it will be nice to, like, really clarify and possibly end on this, which is, like, we're not saying that this stuff's, like, wrong or bad. Like, the, the traps or stuff like that are wrong or that we're saying that to have nuanced characters are wrong. It's just there's a right and wrong way to execute them and and to actually have them there as opposed to just being there for the sake of being there you know it doesn't serve the narrative as we've we've mentioned so many times and i feel like that's where everything falls flat and so we just return to the first two and glorify them not they're not 100 percent all right and i think with this we need to at least check their rotten tomato or tomato uh, <laughs> score, although that is also not necessarily an objective um, score either. Um, but what, at least... Well, I'm, gonna ch- I- I'm checking Home Alone 2 first. Home Alone 2... What? Nah. It's only 35%. On audience score or the, like, critic score? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, 35 on the actual, like tomato meter and 61 percent on audience score which i am surprised at yeah i i know i talk about it like it's a perfect sequel but it's it's people do in in fact you know what let's to to offset some of the stuff you know we've been quite critical of the later ones but let's see what they thought about for also i've just seen they are doing showings of home alone 2 in the cinema but all of them, I think, are in, like, places where I'm not, such as Leeds. <laughs> oh, that's sad. <laughs> While I'm home... I'm, what a yeah. time to come home. Well, I guess if I was home alone, like, in Leeds, then it would be good to see Home Alone in the cinema, but... Anyway. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm disgusted. I, I just typed in Home Alone to, like, bring up the uh, Rotten Tomatoes thing, and its initial thing that came up was home sweet home alone as if yeah. that's as if that's what i'm looking for because what is think? new new is always better in the words of uh, barney stinson from how i met your mother new is always better ah yes i see oh okay so so um i'm just looking at some of the critic reviews these are just summaries but um the ones that didn't like it uh include things like it wasn't as believable it was a lot more violent um and (laughs) that uh, kevin seems a lot meaner because having been removed from his home he's not defending his home so you could argue that it's it's a lot crueler um people see it as a parody of the first film um reminding us why we enjoyed it without being able to duplicate its appeal um its portrait of urban america is ridiculously romanticized Um, yeah that's true i'll give you that nasty and cartoonish i mean yeah of course we're we're not even going to mention donald trump appearing in home alone 2 oh Um, please don't i think that's why it's become more of a meme um (laughs) and why people love it more do you know what what it's like it's like people hated star wars prequels until 
the sequels came out. And yeah, like, yeah. Do you yeah. know what? Let's cling to these babies because they're precious. totally, totally. Like, so I think it's the same thing. I think at the time these reviews were only in the context of seeing the first one to be like, oh, like compared and there's a sequel, I automatically have to give it a slightly worse of reviews unless you're like shrek 2 which is just a way better sequel um but like <laughs> i think with that they're like oh but now that we've had all of these not so good sequels cling to home alone 2 it's precious yeah it's I not mean, perfect but it's good i i, I think uh, based on how each film gets worse and worse progressively uh, I, I think it'd be great to uh, to end with a quote from Jay Boyar from the Orlando Sentinel, one of Rotten Tomatoes' top critics, who on June the 10th, 2019, to be honest, I think this is why they all gave it negative reviews, is because they were watching a Christmas film in June, for crying out loud. But oh, anywho, yeah. with any luck at all, the McAllisters will just stay home next Christmas. I love Good reviews job. like that. They just they just manage to capture so much while saying so little. Like you immediately know everything that they found wrong with that film. <laughs> yeah, instantly say, so, "All right, I get the point." But yeah, yeah. That, I, that that's my sincere hope. You know, like people were hoping for Kevin to come back as an adult. It's like you don't you don't really want to see that. What no. you really want to see is just Home Alone. So just watch Home Alone again. We don't need. Yeah. We don't need Home Alone 10, like what happened to Kevin McAllister's great granddaughter. We don't we don't care. We don't want to see the Home Alone expanded universe. Space Home- Alone. <laughs> Mars Alone. Okay, that would be actually you know what? If if the, the if they do a if they do a Home Alone film where there's like a colony on Mars and they do it kind of like 2001: A Space Odyssey style, right? Um, cool. that would be pretty cool. And by 2001: A Space Odyssey, I mean the uh, only interesting half an hour. And by interesting, I mean engaging. Please, film tutors, don't come and find me and kill me for saying yeah. that I thought parts of 2001 were boring. They're cultured. Anyway, we're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people like to say that's their favourite film because they sound awesome. Yeah, so, yeah. They... While the reality is that they admired it from a distance and they fell asleep during the black hole sequence and that's fine and I'm not going to judge them for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So, yeah, different versions of Home Alone I'm all about. Let's bring them. Make money while you do it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I hate myself saying that. Right, okay. Go and enjoy at least the first two. And if, if you really do love crappy sequels, by all means, go ahead and, and, and watch them too, you know. <laughs> As we've demonstrated before, your subjective opinion is always objective. So, And, and let us know, you know. Let us know what your favourite things are about Home Alone. Um, you know, what do you want to see in Home Alone 23? No Way Home Alone. Oh, nice. Home Alone coming. Far from Home Alone. <laughs> They're just going to do that eventually. They're going to like merge it into uh, the Spider Man. Well, it is multiverse, isn't it? So technically, they Kevin <laughs> McCarthy could be a part of it. And oh, that'd be awesome. Imagine going against like all the like the pop. <laughs> But like he said, yeah. to trap by him, so he starts slipping, and all of his technicals oh, go everywhere. That would be so good, actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Because, <laughs> I mean, that's ultimately right. what Spider-Man does, isn't it? He just toys with them. Right. But so instead technically... of it just being like a him, like instead of having superpowers, you just mess with them psychologically. Yeah, right. And his tagline would be "Merry Christmas, you filthy animal!" <laughs> yeah. And like, oh, top ten uh, characters not from the MCU who could defeat Thanos. Number one, <laughs> Kevin McAllister. I totally agree. He could beat Shaggy, uh, even when Shaggy's using a hundred percent of its power. That's that's not that's scary. Actually, let's not yeah. talk about that. That's terrifying. <laughs> Kevin Kevin McCthulhu. <laughs> what is this? What he still couldn't doing? beat Jesus in a fight, though. And there we Amen. go. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I think that's a great point to end on. Jesus, ruler of all. No one can. He won't can leave you home him. alone. He. <laughs> he's the ultimate Avenger. Amen and amen. Ah!